We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome, welcome to the first installment of the Barca Blog Podcast. We thank you for joining us wherever you may be. I'm Dan Hilton, and I'm joined by none other than Frances Tomas. Frances, how are you doing today? I'm very, very excited. Um, we've been waiting for this moment for many years, and um, I'm delighted that the opportunity to share um, our love for Barca is here right now. Really excited. Now, of course, this is a weekly show that we're you and I are trying to put together, and it is all about FC Barcelona, both of our favorite teams. Um, however, it may be largely focused on the senior team, but do not be surprised, of course, if we do talk about the women of Barcelona, who are a fantastic team in their own right, and of course the youth academy, which is so part, so much a part of what Barcelona tries to instill and what the club's motto may be. Definitely, definitely. Um, Barca is Mexican club. It's not just the first team. It's a community. It's a feeling. For most of us, it's a religion as well. So yeah, very excited to be here and um, to be sharing our love. So in our first installment, uh, we do want to thank you not only for joining in. We do apologize. Again, it's week one, so our technical um, learning curve will be starting at ground zero now and moving on up from there. But uh, we hope we can deliver, again, some of the hard-hitting Barcelona news of the week. And right before this season comes to a close, we have a ton of questions to be answered, again, in the last week and a half or two weeks of the season and then leading into the offseason before a Another season next year that, you know, with Champions League aspirations, again, trying to bring home another title. Well, part one of this coming up now, as Frances and I decided, will be a special piece called The Editorial by Frances Tomas. And we're going to get into one of those big off-season questions. And Frances, I think you might have some kind of idea on how Luis Enrique will be replaced. Exactly, exactly. Um, replacing Luis Enrique is not, never going to be an easy task. But um, it is now 77 days since Luis Enrique announced his decision to leave Barcelona. Now, that is quite a lot of time, especially in a club in which um, things happen so quickly. Now, Lucho's charisma and toughness helped him during his time at the Camp Nou. But that is precisely why his successor needs to be someone with a different demeanor. Unzué, Juan Carlos Unzué, has worked alongside Luis Enrique as an assistant manager during his three-year stint which is, has been obviously very successful. Now, although many in the capital, the Catalan capital, rate Unzué really highly, I don't really believe he's the right man for the job at this moment in time. Now, don't get me wrong, he's very methodical, he's got a lot of tactical know-how, 
and his influencing pass has, has really improved the team's effectiveness when attacking and I would say more so when defending set pieces. Now, while Uthua's positive influence in the current Barca squad is, is clear and is there for everyone to see, I really strongly believe the ball should look beyond him and bring an external, experienced and proven manager that can take the reins of the Camp Nou. Although Luis Enrique, assistant manager, knows the squad really well because of the three years he's been together with Luis Enrique, I am just not convinced that being so familiar with the stars is going to be beneficial in the long run. Now, the current Barca squad needs a new manager, and that new manager has to be a fresh face, an ambitious leader with enough hunger for success and motivational skills to enable Messi, Suarez, Neymar, and the rest of the Blaugrana stars to continue excelling for the years to come. And with that in mind, although there are many managers in the market, the one and only manager that will fit the bill is Ernesto Valverde. Now, I, now, Frances, I was a little scared there. I, I thought you were going to say Jose Mourinho. <laughs> I would never say something like that. Don't be silly. Yeah, yeah, Mourinho. Um, I think we could do a whole podcast on how the many reasons why we don't really like him too much. But I uh, know Valverde. Valverde is a man. Now, uh, Valverde has spent two seasons at the Camino already. Um, this may not be known to most many people. In the, line, in the late 1980s, uh, from 88 to uh, 1990, he was a Barca forward and um, he knows how the club works from the inside. So he definitely understands what being a manager at the Camp Nou means. He's got vast experience as a manager in La Liga. He's worked for Athletic Bilbao, Valencia, Espanol and Villarreal. And obviously he's an Athletic, Athletic de Bilbao again now. And uh, he's also got experience um, beyond La Liga, because he managed Olympiacos in two different things as well. So basically, he's used to high-pressure jobs, and um, he would be ready to take what I believe is one of the toughest managerial jobs in world football. Now, but Luis Enrique has a lot of strengths and weaknesses, like everybody, but uh, the one that people seem to pick on quite a bit is in his inability to connect not necessarily with his staff, which does elements of as well, but with the press and uh, with the general public. Now, Valverde is a people's person. He's decisive, he's firm when he's needed, but um, a lot of the time you see him talking to his players during practice and directing them during the matches. Now, world-class stars, as we know, and I would say particularly Messi and Neymar, they would really benefit from a manager who truly values dialogue. because. These players, the Barca players, are mature enough to be um, to be spoken to like sort of real people, not just talked down, which is what um, many suspect Luis Enrique has been doing, particularly in the last um, two three months. Now, Valverde's teams, they've got a very clear aim: he's taking care of the ball in order to push forward and uh, just try and score. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean that we're going to have if Valverde was appointed, which I strongly believe should happen that we will have unnecessary, endless, pointless control in the middle of the park that generates nothing. But instead, like Bilbao have been doing, making a more direct use of possession to create goal-scoring chances instead. Now, Luis Enrique, obviously, he's only got two more matches left in his managerial career at Barcelona. And uh, whether haters like it or not, his legacy has to be considered a, a, a resounding success. He's got eight collective titles, Obviously, he could win two more in the two remaining games, obviously La Liga and Copa del Rey for this season. But 
He's already got two ligas, the Club World Cup, and more importantly, the fifth Champions League trophy, uh, which was conquered in style in 2015. Now, we know that all good things must come to an end, and that as things stand today, what the Barca squad needs is a new manager who can really shake things up. And I'm really looking forward to welcoming Ernesto Valverde to the Camp Nou in the near future, because otherwise, I don't see that success happening in the future. And Frances, we'll get into this in a little bit, but one of the things that I could say that I would like about him as a manager is, again, working with Bilbao for the time he has. Bilbao, of course, historically is a club that only uses their academy. That's part of their, uh, again, that's part of their club's, I guess, rules and um, stipulations that, again, they have to be Basque players um, to be allowed to play in the team. So, again, that's a guy that has to look at his academy and say, this is the players I have to work with. Of course, we can get some outside the club, but this is a club, as in Bil- speaking of Bilbao, that is built on the academy and nurturing young talent. And I think, again, that's something that a lot of cools would like to go back to. And again, we'll get into this later in the podcast because we're going to keep it moving, Frances. We're going to move right along into our second segment, which is what we'd like to call Talking Blagrana. And this is where you... The listeners get to be a part of the action, get to speak with us a little bit. We have some questions. I really want people to get involved. Obviously, this is uh, podcast number one, but uh, we've already got something going on the Facebook page, and uh, hopefully soon enough, our community will start buzzing and sending uh, questions to us back and forth. So it's going to be great. So with these Barcelona questions, again, these are listener questions that have been sent to us. We're going to break some of these down, and we'll see what we can go from here. Uh, number one being that, of course, the big storyline now, there is one match left for Barcelona, but there are two remaining for Real Madrid, and they will be crowned Spanish champions for the first time since 2012, because, again, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid have had a stranglehold of the La Liga, while Real Madrid, oh, yeah, Champions League, Champions League, blah, 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 blah. Well, they have, if they, Real Madrid picks up four points from their last two matches, of course, and those are both away to Celta Vigo and Malaga, and so with one defeat, that would mean that Barcelona would have the option. And of course, Barcelona, who've already lost to Vigo and Malaga this season, know that those are two teams that could beat Real Madrid. But unfortunately, Frances, as we've seen recently, particularly in Champions League action, Real Madrid, as much as we don't like to admit it, they look very, very good right now. Cristiano Ronaldo is again back in top form. And Celta Vigo is not the team that they were when they took it to Real Madrid earlier in the season in the Copa del Rey. And again, Malaga, while they can deal with the defensive... Pre- I mean, again, they shut things down defensively against Barcelona, but it's, again, a different task against some of the different weapons that Real Madrid has. So uh, what kind of hope does Barcelona have that Celta Vigo or Malaga could do the job against Real Madrid? Right. It, it really does play my heart to say this, but um, Real Madrid are very strong at this moment in time. Um, Zidane, I would say, has done a fantastic job and um, administering his squad and uh, ultimately he's got not just the A team performing, I would say, excellently, but a B team that's ready to come in. People like James, people like Isco, Morata, I would say even Asensio, they really have added value to the A team of Madrid and to be honest, they are pushing for starts as well. So, um, from a Barca perspective, do we really trust that Celta or Malaga are going to beat Madrid when the whole of the La Liga title is a stage. I would like to say yes, but my heart says no. Um, particularly because Delta, in a way, they've already switched off. 
uh, they'd be much poorer from mid the middle of the season. Um, obviously, we were unlucky that we played them at their peak. And uh, if we're looking ahead to Malaga, well, Malaga is coached by Mitchell, which uh, is uh, a primary legend. And uh, he has not made any, he's not even tried to hide the fact that he's still a Madrid fan. He's still a Madrid legend. He's in charge of Malaga. And uh, he's gone very short of saying that he's not going to do anything much to stop Madrid from winning La Liga. Now, obviously, that's reading between the lines as to what he said to the media, but ultimately what he means is that if he comes to the game in Malaga, he's not going to really do much to stop them. Now, the Malaga chairman has actually come out and uh, insulted Catalonia quite, quite strongly on Twitter. Uh, obviously, he then very conveniently deleted the tweet and uh, said that his account had been hacked and all that. But uh, he literally said, uh, Catalonia shit. Literally. So... I don't really have many hopes of Malaga helping us out in any way, and uh, I don't think Felta uh, are there for the winning either. Now, obviously, from a Barca perspective, we need to look at ourselves. We need to say, are we doing the right thing? And uh, I think we have been. We've been pretty strong in the last four or five matches, but um, ultimately, throughout the season, we've dropped points that, that basically are unforgivable. Losing to Malaga, losing to Felta, uh, losing to Deportivo when the La Liga title is a stage, I think it's irresponsible and uh, it, it shows a lack of depth in the Catalan's bench. Well, Francesco, that leads us right into um, our second question. And again, with Malaga, of course, their management might not be, again, saying the right things or, or making it appear that they care too much to be those spoilers against Real Madrid. But You'd have to expect that starting for Malaga will be, of course, Sandro Ramirez. And that's a guy that, again, was a Barcelona player, now with Malaga. Everton have said they're going to pay about 6 million euro or 5 million pounds. And again, this is a report per the Times that Sandro Ramirez, uh, Ramirez excuse me, um, will, with a total of 14 goals this season, uh, be moving to the Premier League. And what that brings up a bigger question of, well, first... To respond to you is that I think with Sandra Ramirez, you'd have to think that, you know, being a former Barcelona player, being raised in the Barcelona Academy, you'd think that he has some kind of motivation to want to stick it to Real Madrid. So I think even if management says we're not going to try very hard and Sandra Ramirez, I'm having a hard time with that one. But you know, it's funny, though, Frances, Ramirez, not too hard yet. I think one of the things we're going to learn is that my we'll call it American pronunciation uh, is something that will be desired later on. But Sandro Ramirez is one that I could do pretty easily um, with a little bit of practice. But anyway, if, if Sandro is able to hit uh, a few goals, knocking a few against Real Madrid, um, it won't matter what management said. And you have to think that he'd be motivated to do that uh, with, uh, you know, the rival of a former club. Uh, but more importantly about what could happen with him moving to the Premier League, um, if he goes for 6 million euro. I mean, that tells you that uh, just Barcelona just seems to not be getting enough from these players that they're offloading. Um, you know, even Sevilla has been linked with him now, Atletico Madrid, Newcastle, Liverpool, uh, Tottenham, Southampton. They're all showing these uh, commitments to trying to upgrade their squad um, with players like Sandro, who I guess to say that they, again, 6 million euro, just to kind of equate what that means. Um, that's more than Barcelona was able to get for the first time. 
obviously, for him. Um, and why is it that Barcelona just aren't selling their players for any reasonable profit? And, you know, to respond first, I think that part of that comes that Barcelona just, they have this, it's a good thing, and I enjoy the fact that they want to do right by players like a Danny Alves, and they want to do right by their players, and they want to make sure that their players choose where they're going, and, you know, and they do kind of dictate some of the things that happen with their transfers. Um, but unfortunately, that means that Barcelona are not maximizing the profits that some of the other bigger clubs are maximizing on the players that they're letting go. Yeah, that's right. Um, I would say... <laughs> Ultimately, the, the, the Barca board are horrendous uh, at selling players. Um, considering all the talent that comes out of La Masia on a, I would say, yearly basis, um, the, the money that we're making out of it is, is, is laughable. Um, obviously, it, it does lead to a deeper problem or a deeper sort of situation, which is that we haven't had a proper start coming out of La Masia for several years now. Um, if you think about it, you've got Rafinha in the, in the team now, we've got Sergio Roberto, but they're not at the level that, say, Puyol, Busquets, even Pique, but certainly Iniesta, Messi, um, Xavi, in, um, going back in the years, Guardiola, Amor, they're just not at that caliber. So, but Busquets, Busquets is the one we agree on, is the last great, you know, Barcelona Academy player to break through, right? Then instant, instant starting 11 player. Without a doubt, and um, at the time when Busquets was promoted, actually, um, most people believed that that position was Jaya Tures to keep, but um, Guardiola obviously knew him well from his days at Barca B, and um, he trusted the player, and, and he was allowed to grow. Now, in terms of Sandro, and I would say I would put Munir in the same sort of um, cabot hole, Sandro and Munir were competing for a starting place last year, although considering you've got Neymar, Suarez and Messi, who arguably are the best three strikers in the world, or forwards in the world, um, they just didn't have a place. Now, they were competing to be the fourth striker. Now, neither Sandro nor Munir were good enough to stay in the, in the team this year. Barca invested heavily to get Alcácer from Valencia uh, for $35 million in the summer, I believe. And, uh, you know, he was right to invest on a fourth forward. Now, that instantly meant that Sandro and Munir had to go. However, if Madrid were able to um, send Jesse to PSG for, I believe, was 25 million, then it is fairly laughable, as I said earlier, that Sandro is allowed to leave for free and Munir is sent um, to Valencia with a buyback clause of 12 million. So, no, I think the board should really up the game uh, in order to offload players because ultimately we can make a lot of money here. Now, if you think about it, Chelsea are a team as well that they promote academy players, but they also sign quite cheaply players from all around Europe and beyond, and that then they loan them out. I think that has to be the way forward because, yeah. say, Sandro wasn't allowed to leave for free. He was loaned out, for example. Then we could call him back this season and we made the profit. So, uh, yeah, I think the whole, the whole system needs a bit of rethinking. Last year, um, Samper was sent off to Granada on loan. That didn't work out, but no one's telling you that that may not have worked. So I think that we need to, well, the board needs to be thinking about it uh, in, a bit more, in a bit more detail and uh, making better choices in the future. Uh, yeah, I think that's a, a great point, Francis. That I, I was about to bring up Samper in that, you know, I, I think it's a good problem to have. You mentioned the top three players up front. 
it's a good problem to have that Sandro, you know, just couldn't get the team, the games that, you know, you're not going to get 14 goals only make, only appearing in less than half of the games, um, particularly at 10 to 20 minutes at a time. Um, and it, it's such a small sample size. So again, when a player is only making, you know, 20 appearances in a season and he's only got six goals, well, then teams aren't going to pay 25 million for him. Um, and another thing would be, you know, Arda Taran right now, obviously he's losing value. He may be a quality player that we bought for close to 30 million, but he's obviously losing value sitting on the bench. Um, and you brought up Chelsea. And while I think Chelsea's loan system, um, and we'll, we'll talk about Chelsea's loan system, particularly over the summer. Um, while I do think, you know, it's, I don't think it's good for youth development at large. I mean, look how, I mean, they say John Terry is the, who's played 22 seasons now is the last player to really, truly come through the Chelsea Academy um, and be a consistent starter. Um, and while it may be bad for the youth development, they have such a good economic model there by loaning out, I mean, close to 15 to 20 players on loan per year that they find to be surplus. And then they sell them all for somewhere between, you know, even even a Patrick Bamford who was playing the championship in, um, in England, he, you know, played for Middlesbrough while they were in the championship. Um, he was hitting well, and then they sold him for around $6 million, you know, back up in the Premier League. And so you have things like that. And I, I think the other shrewd decisions that Chelsea's made, I mean, not to give too many compliments to uh, the current Premier League champions, but um, you look at Modic, um, Nemanja Modic, who they, you know, they, got, they, they bought for $21 million, and then they sold him back to um, Benfica to get David Luiz, and then they buy him back for that exact same $21 million. You know, so, so, so it's a zero-zero profit. I mean, they've made mistakes. So you look at Romelu Lukaku, where they probably should have kept Lukaku. Yes, while their other strikers have been good, I mean, Lukaku's been a different force playing for Everton, but he's the same way, where at these big clubs, you're just not getting the reps you need to be able to be sold for such a large profit. And Munir is such an interesting one that you brought up, too. I mean, the Munir option to buy for Valencia was almost a lose-lose for Barcelona. If Munir does well with his development at Valencia, then Valencia purchases him. But if Munir struggles, I mean, which he, again, he wasn't really scoring at the clip that Barcelona would have hoped or Valencia would have hoped this season, but he has been a starter. But now what does Barcelona do? If he's, you know, is he, he's still only 21, but is he quality enough to come back and be, you know, again, not to say the next Pedro, because they're different players, of course, but to be that next, we'll say, fourth or fifth option off the bench for the attack force. Yeah, I would say that um, there is nothing that Chelsea can do that Barca can do either. Um, if they're going through through that system in order to acquire players, then we can do that as well. Now, we've got the other value that La Masia should be churning out um, players on a yearly basis. Now, Barca, be interestingly, is about to get promoted. Hopefully, they're a couple of games away from being promoted to Segunda A, which is the second division in Spain. Right. Now, having Barca been playing at that level then it's something that will narrow the gap between the B team and the first team at Barca. And ultimately, we will be able to attract more players earlier that can sort of slot into Luis Enrique's team, which obviously, hopefully, will be Ernesto Valverde's team by then and uh, make an impact in the first team. And, and, that, and Frances, that brings up questions basically three and four that we were asked um, by, by listeners prior to that, they, they, they kind of work in, in tandem together. And question number three being Luis Enrique, has he done enough to promote players from uh, La Masia? And then the other one would be for Barcelona, um, 
they they giving their first start to Marlon Santos, particularly in the La Liga, should we say, that bringing him over from Fluminese and now choosing to purchase him. Um, again, we they also have an option on Yuri Amenia, who plays for Palmeiras. He'll be coming over after the Russia World Cup. So um, Barcelona, I mean, having just bought Umtiti, they're taking chances on younger defenders. And clearly, Malan Santos, yes, while it took him a little while to get his paperwork sorted out at when he was first loaned to Barcelona from Fluminense, he's a player that clearly Luis Enrique trusts and is pushing forward to the first team. And same thing with Carlos Elena, who through the latter part of this season has been on the bench or been making appearances um, all throughout. And, and for me, Frances, a big one was that when Barcelona, I, I don't remember exactly which game and mathematically what happened, but I do remember their Champions League results in the group stage. It came down to getting first place. It, it didn't. They didn't have it sealed up with at least two matches to go. So therefore, that meant that that last final game in the Champions League had to be one where the starters had to play, or at least their a lot of their reserves had to play. But they could. They couldn't allow the opportunity to allow some of those players that we've been wanting to see for the first team, like a Mark Cardona, the 21-year-old striker that has really been doing well, or again the puzzling one. We first puzzled Alice Grimaldo for years, and now it seems like the new one we're puzzling is Sergi Palencia, the 21-year-old right back. Because again, Luis Enrique even opted for Neely Perdomo over Palencia. And so those are kind of the questions. But, my, then, but then my question is, I mean, has he done enough to promote uh, Luis Enrique? My easy answer is probably not. But that said, when you play for a Bayern Munich or Real Madrid, you do have to be top quality before you can come into the first team. And that's been a question that we'll talk about. Through That'll be a main theme of this podcast. I can guarantee that to listeners, is that what happens, again, it is a big thing if Barca B is playing in the second division and not below that. But even in the second division, how do you get those players to make the jump from the second division to the first team? The easy answer is do what we did with Samper and send him out on loan. And if those loans aren't successful, though, and they lose value then what do you do with them? Or if they do play well, do you sell them off or do you, t- do you take a chance that they will be successful at the camp now? I think that the main, the main topic here is that players coming from La Masia, they haven't been as good as they used to be. And that sort of brings me back to, to the point I made earlier. If players from La Masia and Barca B were ready to be the first team, I would have thought Luis Enrique would have given them the chance. Now, Marlon has excelled he has been given the chance. Fair enough, there's two games to go. But um, he slotted into the team well. He was, I would say, hugely effective next to Titi in Piquet's absence. And um, he's, I would say his inclusion was seamless. Now, was he included because Luis Enrique really, really wanted to? Well, I don't think so. Mascherano got, picked up an injury um, warming up for the game. And that's pretty much the main reason why Marlon got the start. However, it does prove the point that if you are working well in training within Barca B and the first team, then you are going to get a chance. Um, people like Palencia, I would say that's someone that who would really, really benefit the first team. Obviously, Sergi Roberto has been playing at right back since Dani Alves departed. Now, obviously, comparing Roberto to Alves, which in my eyes is probably in the top three of best right backs of all time. Um, I think it's a bit unfair. Now, what Roberto has added to the team is a lot of youth, a lot of fitness, which um, obviously Alves didn't have. 
But again, he's not a defender. He's had to learn on the job, and uh, I think he's done a cracking job. Uh, and particularly in the last, I would say, six, seven weeks, he's been excellent. He's been one of our best players. Now, can Sergio Valencia do that next year? I would say, if given the chance, yes. Now, obviously, I think Barca still need to go to the market and uh, get a right back who can definitely sort of take Sergio Roberto away from right back and back into midfield because I think that's where we really need him, particularly with Iniesta sort of aging and, and playing a, a far lesser role in the team as he already has this season um, due to injury. Now he could support Rafinha, he could support Suarez, he could support, when I say Suarez, I mean Tenny Suarez, right. and uh, work alongside uh, Sergio Busquets as well in order to make our midfield stronger. Now, the other players that you mentioned, I think they're a little bit further from, from making to the first team. But if Barca be are promoted, which obviously, fingers crossed, they will do in the next couple of games, then next year they'll be playing against the likes of Sporting Gijón and uh, Las Palmas, who obviously are going to be relegated from the first division this season. And uh, the, the, the second division in Spain is really, really strong. Um, and, and proof of that is that a team like, say, Leganés, who uh, got promoted last season, that they're going to keep their... Um, the first year status next year. So it is the gap would be narrow. Now, if we've got a really strong team A, which I think that we already have, we've got Barca B playing in Segunda División A. This summer we can sign two, three starters, which, um, you know, Andre Gomez should have been this season. Uh, Arda Turan should have been knocking at the first 11 as well. They haven't because they just haven't performed as they should. But ultimately, having say 20 players playing in the second division sort of week in week out at least one of them is going to be able to make the jump now i thought marlon over the weekend was fantastic i think he really added he he obviously you didn't even realize he was a newbie and uh, he worked alongside um tt which i i think hands down best sign of the season so marlon great start and that uh, we want to see the ball in the future and francis that brings us to our fifth point um, and it's, yeah, as we're wrapping up part two of our show and that Denis Suarez, you know, he's a guy who is being looked at to go back to Valencia, um, as Marcelino has been looking at him, has worked with him. And, you know, for me, Suarez trying to figure out where he fits again, when you have the likes of Iniesta in the midfield, because again, yes, well, he took a little bit of a step back. Iniesta is always going to be the instant starter. And for me, I've always compared Asensio from Real Madrid to Suarez. You know, we've looked at, you know, youth, the, the, the youth clubs where it's the same thing with Hesse and um, Gerard De La Feo, where that, you know, they lit it up at the FIFA U-20 World Cup a few years ago. And, of course, neither made the great of Barcelona and Real Madrid, respectively. But when I, I look at Asensio and Suarez, the level of Asensio, who was fantastic this year whenever he, he donned the Los Blancos shirt, but Suarez, again, kind of had trouble in certain matches fighting his footing. But you could see that all the tools are there. And he is still so rather young that I would hope that he'd be a player that Barcelona would hang on to. And we've looked at their uh, transfer strategy through the years. And they do, like you look at Arda Turan or, or Rakitic, they've come over from other La Liga clubs. Barcelona, would they prefer to bring guys over, it seems, from La Liga. And oftentimes, again, they do have different, not to say discounts, but they have working relationships, and so players sometimes come a little cheaper than they would, and vice versa, as you look at what David Villa was sold to Atletico Madrid those few years ago for, just $8 million, again, with a few options on younger players, but 
Again, in La Liga, you get, you know, much lower rates on certain players between clubs. But that said, the player, I mean, about a Denise Suarez, would you allow him to leave for Valencia? I think that brings up the debate of uh, what we like to say in the States of keeping up with the Joneses. And what I mean by that is between Chelsea, Real Madrid, Bayern, there are teams that are trying to promote from within um, and choosing to develop future superstars um, or they go out and buy these big, big talents. And I, I think we're at a point now where the Chelsea, Real Madrid, Bayern, their only players that crack the starting 11 are players that are brought in from other clubs. They're not promoted from within. And again, usually they're not even players that have been loaned out and brought back. I mean, uh, for Real Madrid, it is a little frightening. They do have some pretty good, I mean, Marcos Llorente this year for Alvarez. I mean, excuse me, Alavez. You know, he did well at the defensive midfield position. And Vejejo, who played in Germany for Frankfurt, those are two players that, I mean, that people project to be top class coming in from Real Madrid. And for Barcelona, a younger player in his early 20s, I mean, they did a very good job reinforcing with, you know, the, the, the several young 22, 23-year-old players they did. But, you know, for Barcelona, I mean, the other option I, I think would be separating them from the top clubs is looking at two of the other semifinalists in in AS Monaco and Dortmund in the Champions League this year. And those are two teams that, while Monaco, I mean, they were playing in the second division in France just a few years ago, and now they're going to win Ligue 1 in France. I mean, and you look at the way their club, however, is going to be gutted this offseason. You know, at least two or three of Bernardo Silva, Bakayoko, who's basically already agreed to go to Chelsea, Kylian Mbappe, of course, the big story for them, and even Tomas Lamar, who's been, you know, rumored to be headed to Juventus. All those different players for Monaco, the core of their team, could be leaving for large uh, profit. So will Monaco return to the semifinals? Next year, most likely, if their team loses all that talent, I wouldn't say so. It's the same thing with Dortmund. A few years ago, they make the final against Bayern Munich, and then they basically get gutted. They lose Lewandowski, they lose Hummels, both to Bayern Munich, who, again, chose to spend a lot of money to bring those players in. Um, and so Dortmund themselves could lose Dembele or different players like that. Um, Weigel, of course, in the center defensive midfield. And we'll talk about Julian Weigel later. I know he's... He's German, um, and again, he's not. He doesn't have that, we'll say, Spanish flair that that uh, is expected of Barcelona midfielders. But uh, I don't know. My I, not to throw my show my hand too early, but I, I think if Barcelona needs to go outside the club to look for a young replacement for Busquets, to me, I watch a good deal of Bundesliga, and Julian Weigel uh, would be my pick. But I just want to know your thoughts on uh, Denis Suarez. If he's a guy that you've seen enough from that Barcelona should try to hold on to and try to fight off um, a higher bid from Valencia. Absolutely. I think Denis Suarez is um, basically he's one of the, the, the players that we've got in the current squad that touched most of the points we made earlier. Now, Denis Suarez was um, signed from the Galicia team, I think, of Celta, when he was really young. He played for Barca for a couple of seasons, and then he, he left for Manchester City. He had quite a successful spell in there, the point that we got him back, but then we sold him to be a Real uh, for him to redevelop. So basically, although he's really, really young, he's a player that has been around the world and that has proven himself around. Now, Denis Suarez, I think this season, he's uh, found it hard to sort of break into the first 11. Um, I think he's been a little bit shy when on the ball. Um, obviously, combining with Iniesta and Rakitic is very easy, but um, when, whenever Iniesta or Rakitic haven't been there, 
he's found it harder to, to, to show his personality now. I would say for a first season at Barca, he's done okay. Um, I'm expecting more from him in the future. But um, learning, even if he went elsewhere, uh, and then we tried to learn him back, to get him back. Now, I don't think that's something that would work for him because at this moment in time, the, the biggest worry I would say um, that Barca fans have is what's going to happen when Iniesta is no longer there. Now, we were devastated when Xavi retired. I mean, he's saw Qatar, but was, he was just there for the money. So he's, for us, he's retired. And uh, Iniesta is the one sort of carrying the baton forward. Uh, obviously, we got Busquets out of our legendary midfield triangle. Triangle st still left. But uh, the creative one, the one that breaks defenses, the one that wins games at this moment in time is, is Iniesta. And uh, I believe that the more coaching, mentoring that Iniesta can do towards the youngest players, and I would say Denis Suarez and Rafinha are the two that he really has been focusing on. Uh, the more time they can spend together, the better, because once Iniesta's gone, we need someone who understands what the Barca DNA is about, how do we play this game, um, how do we push forward, how do we take care of the ball, and how do we widen the pitch, and uh, ultimately, Messi won't be too old by then, how we connect with Messi. Now, I don't even want to think about it. And again, it's my hard to even think about this. Yeah. Messi, Messi will retire someday. But we're not worried about that yet. But uh, Denis Suarez has to learn from Iniesta. And I think he will be someone who would ideally uh, be able to fill that, that spot. Now, Marcelino wants him. Of course he wants him. Uh, when they were together at Villarreal, Denis was one of his stars, which is why Barca got him back. And uh, as Marcelino is going to Valencia, then obviously he's going to want his, his best player back. But um, personally, it's a no-go for me. Dennis Valle has to stay. I think he's got more than enough quality to be a valuable player. Can he be a regular starter? Not yet. But he needs to learn from Iniesta in order to establish himself. And of course, our listeners will probably get on us that we did, haven't really brought up Andre Gomez at all. Uh, but again, that's another promise that we don't have time to get into him right now. Um, but we will be reviewing how his season went in his first year at uh at the camp now that again people had a uh, a lot of people had different differing opinions on whether or not he was a success in his first year again a lot of negativity thrown the Portuguese midfielder's way but we'll get him on into him on a later show and and with that I do also want to let everybody know about one of our sponsors Fubo TV if you don't get the right television channels to watch FC Barcelona you can sign up through the link on the Barca blog webpage and it's a small fee per month, but you get every La Liga match. And using our link also helps us out, too. So without further delay, let's keep this going. We are running out of time, Frances, but I do want to go to the third and final part of our show is before we wrap it up. And um, this is a different kind of segment here. It's, uh, it's the random corner of the camp now that we want to get into. Um, and for the first week, the idea we were given... Uh, the worst five Barcelona signings of the 21st century. Um, and we'll go through this list rather quickly. Um, but I think a lot of names do jump out into the minds of um, of Barcelona fans. But I, I think the ones that I, I when you when you sent me an initial list, Frances, I, I kind of had a chuckle because some of these players I had completely forgotten simply because they didn't really ever play for Barcelona. But the whole thing is if Barcelona spends money in the transfer window to bring players in and then they don't even come close to making the grade, well, then Barcelona has, has made a mistake in that instance. Um, and the one player, um, my honorable mention at least, that I came up with that's not on your list was Alexander Haleb, of course, um, 
Right, the uh, the midfielder slash forward from Belarus, uh, he was bought for 14.45 million euro in 2008. He lasted four years until 2012 when he left on a free transfer. But see, Frances, I don't really remember him too much in a Barcelona shirt. No, no, I've seen pictures of him. And uh, my mom told me that he played a couple of games once. Uh, beyond that, we don't remember anything that, that he did, apart from the fact that he was useless. So, Frances, uh, without further ado, if you don't mind beginning our list, uh, and listeners at home, we do urge you, this is a special segment, uh, the Random Corner at the Camp Now, every week where, again, we appreciate the most feedback because, again, it could be a list or it could be something that uh, you might have your own ranking at home. So let us know exactly what you think. So, uh, Frances, who's your number five? My number five is Giovanni Davidson. He was horrendous. He stayed at Barca <laughs> from 2001 to 2003. Uh, we had to loan him to Benfica because the guy was useless. Now, he did play 50 matches for us. That's not bad. On this list, on this list, that's not bad. <laughs> that's not bad. I think, I think the fact that he played 50 times is bad enough. Uh, we spent 21 million on him and uh, he was mainly a substitute. Um, he basically scored three goals in 50 matches. He was a forward. Um, then we gave the, pl- the player away at the end to Benfica and uh, then <laughs> the Portuguese, uh, they just decided not to pay for him. So, uh, yeah, he was horrendous, really bad business, and uh, I am delighted to say that he hasn't been at the Camp Nou for 14 years. Well, in his defense, and again, uh, it, it is in defense of these players. We, we may be having some laughs at their expense uh, in a Barcelona jersey, but just to merely be seen as Barcelona quality from the start, uh, it is a compliment to the players at other times in their career. I mean, I do remember Alexander Haleb at Arsenal, and uh, Gunnar's fans do remember him pretty kindly, uh, as opposed to uh, the fans at the camp now. Um, the next one on the list, number four, um, is Enrique, uh, and that's not Luis Enrique, but that is Enrique, um, who playing for Barcelona, or at least um, owned by Barcelona from 2008 to 2012. Um, he was given to Bayern Leverkusen, loaned out in the 2008-09 season. And then he made a few appearances um, for Racing de Santander in the following seasons. And then finally, basically back home to Brazil, to Palmeiras, the season 2011-12. He played all of zero matches um, in a Barcelona uniform. So while he did get to train with the likes of Xavi and Iniesta and Messi, he never did suit up for them alongside them. He was terrible. <laughs> well, he cost $10 million and he was another free... T- See, it's it's the sell price, Frances, that really gets my heart because the purchase price, there's usually a million behind it and then I look at the sell price and it was a free transfer. Yeah, also, Matis played zero. <laughs> So, uh, right. So, again, with these players, it's hard to count against them that they because uh, n- they never played a game. So it's not like we can judge them on their Barcelona performances. I mean, I would say you look at him and then you look at the next guy, the number three on our list, and Kirison, um, another Brazilian. Those are two guys, zero matches played together combined. They cost a total of $24 million to be purchased, $14 million for Kirison, and he was another free transfer. But, again, Frances, not to play devil's advocate, but we don't know. I mean, they could have gotten their start at the camp now. They could have been handed a, a start by, uh, at the time, Pepe, uh, excuse me, not Pepe, Pep Guardiola. And 
they could have scored a hat trick against Real Madrid. We never know. You never know until you really get that start in El Clasico what your legacy at the camp now is, Frances. Yeah, I would say that if you started either Enrique or Garrison at El Clasico, that would have been a sure defeat. Um, <laughs> they haven't played for Barca at all, because they, they really didn't have the quality to do it. Now, I think that at the time, um, I don't want to say too much here, but um, I think the signings were very dodgy. Uh, if you think about it, both the players uh, come from the same area of the world. Uh, if you think about it, none of them even played for Barca once. 24 million combined spent. Um, I smell a little bit of dodginess in there, if you want me to be fully honest. Well, but though I would have to, again, not to play devil's advocate, for instance, but in the case of Carison, he was a 20-year-old 20, a 20 from... Uh, Brazil when he came when he came to uh, Barcelona and I do think that didn't Barcelona in recent years uh, have some success by bringing over a 20 21 year old Brazilian player I think we may have done but uh, again <laughs> I think that may have been a bit dodgy as well um, obviously the Spanish courts are um, still investigating but um, yeah we paid quite a lot for Neymar and um, I think the board have been a little bit devious as to how much money we actually paid. So if you think about it, same part of the world, around the same time, um, you can make your own assumptions. Well, well Francis, if, if you're done um, being hypercritical of South American transfer policies, uh, I think maybe we should go to uh, Eastern Europe for this next one, uh, in the Ukraine, uh, where we get one from Shakhtar. Yeah, uh, the next one on our list, number two, we've got Dimitro Chigrinsky. Now, uh, Chigrinsky, he was quite cruelly, I think, made fun of in, in Spain. Um, there's a, a program in TV3, which is the national Catalan station, um, which was called Cracovia. And uh, Chigrinsky was normally, say, the bum of jokes, um, continues throughout the program. Now, Chigrinsky was a central defender. Um, Guardiola decided to invest heavily on bringing him, 25 million from, from Shakhtar. And, uh, I would say Dimitri Chigrinsky was, because of the price, one of the worst signings ever, obviously number two on our list. But um, he did play 15 matches. I think there was something there. I, th I really think there was something there. But uh, he was never really given a proper chance. Now, obviously, that's the point you were making for uh, our friends from Brazil earlier. But uh, I would say in Chigrinsky's defense, the, he did show glimpses of probably being good but uh, he was just too nervous now we can't forget that playing at the Camp Nou is, is, is daunting you've got 120,000 people who are hypercritical criticizing or let's say observing your every move and uh, he never really felt comfortable obviously he came from from Russia uh, and uh, in there from sorry not Russia Ukraine and uh, in there he felt comfortable he was one of the key players and they done really well in European competition the previous year. Right. Um, so you would have thought that made sense, but it was a total fiasco. He didn't adapt to the demands um, of play, being centre back at Barca. Um, it's probably a, a topic for a different podcast day, but um, playing centre back at Barca is really difficult because whenever you're faced with rivals coming at you, they really are coming at you with loads of ground behind you. And uh, it's, that's not the case with Shakhtar, although they're also an attacking team. Um, so yeah, Chigrinsky spent one season at Barca, uh, cost 25 million, played 15 matches, but um, at least we could get rid of him for 15 million by selling it back to, um, to Shakhtar again. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, he is one of the very few players um, 
as we were looking at a lot of the different options for this, uh, particularly on our list, however, um, he is the only one with a sale price of any kind. The rest were either uh, were all free transfers um, or as we're getting to our last one. Now, now Frances, as we get to our last one, I think you've already said enough negative things about the Brazilians that have been brought in, uh, but yet somehow you end your list with another Brazilian. And this is one that is still still on the books, though. So, again, Frances, I don't know. If Sergio Roberto is down next season with some kind of, you know, injury or he's out of fitness and there's no other right backs, you know, even in La Mesia, you know, if there's no right backs available, I, I don't know. He could start a Clásico. And this guy's name, of course, is Douglas, who is still on the books at Barcelona. I would say if Douglas is to start any classical, he'd probably have to do that in FIFA. Um, and <laughs> PlayStation 4, I need to be on. Um, I think if Sergio Roberto couldn't play and there wasn't any, any other right backs in the world, then I would do it. I've been playing right <laughs> all my life uh, since age five, and I'm a little bit older now. I think I've got enough experience and I think I can do a better job. Now, Douglas was signed um, in 2014. Um, he's played eight matches. Uh, most of them have been as a, as a late sub and uh, whenever given the chance to start, he just got injured. Um, I'm not going to, to, to say that um, he wouldn't have been great had everything else been on his favour. However, he, he just doesn't have the personality, he doesn't have the skill to be to be one of our regulars. Um, he was both by, for 4 million euros and uh, plus 1.5 on variables and um, ultimately he spent 2-3 years at Barca and um, he was very capable of training alongside the stars but never really able to, to, to make it through. Now uh, the Catalan people uh, were quite cruel towards him because obviously he never made any impact in the first team whatsoever apart from the fact that he had a ponytail once and uh, that was impressive. Uh, in the football, football to, sort of football-wise, he didn't add anything um, and, and it's quite obvious because of what's happened next. Now, we loaned him off to Sporting Gijón. They've been relegated and uh, he's played no part whatsoever on um, helping them stay in the first division. So, yeah, I would say, without a doubt, the worst signing of all time. And that, I'm going to link it to one of your points made earlier here. At the time that we signed Douglas for six, for 5.5 million euros, we could assign Asensio, who's now in Madrid, for 3 million. But the, the, the board at the time thought that paying 3 million for Asensio was, was too much. So we're going to assign Douglas so that he was useless for 3 years. Well, in, in, again, not to defend all these players, Frances, but uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, when they won the Champions League, um, you know, and that was the year in Barcelona you saw on social media wore, wearing a ton of denim everywhere, seemingly around. But boy, did Douglas have a lot of fun with Adriano and, and Alves and Neymar. And they really had that uh, Brazilian contingent. And, you know, we don't, we don't know what Douglas was doing for morale, you know. You, Danny Alves was sensational that year, and we're not entirely sure that, you know, Douglas wasn't the guy trying to t help him out and, you know, get him to that next level. Um, but all I know is he wore denim as part of that Brazilian contingent better than I could have, uh, and that's a compliment to him. And again, he, as we've talked about, um, he did cost a few million, um, but he's, he's, he's still young, and by that, he's in his mid-20s, so his he's in theory, he's just entering his prime. So while he may not make the grade at Barcelona, 
unlike some of the other earlier players on this list whose careers are over, Douglas is a player who we could see someday if he takes that next up as a uh, consistent starter um, at some kind of a Liga team. Or even, again, if you were playing for the second division in Barcelona and you're a starter, I mean, not in Barcelona, but in La Liga, um, <laughs> I'll get it right on the third time. If you're playing for a second division club in Spain and you're a starter, that you know that's it's not too shabby of a career as well. And, Bar- and Douglas could eventually be that kind of player. Yeah, well, I, I would be more than happy to be proved wrong. <laughs> but, um, yeah, for, for, for football's sake, I think we deserve Douglas to, to excel and win a Ballon d'Or and so forth. Well, well, Frances, we'd normally love to end our shows on Lionel Messi. Instead, we're ending our first installment of the Barcelona Blog podcast uh, with none other than Douglas. And uh, that is that is not necessarily exactly what we'd like to do, but... Um, we, we probably won't be talking much about Douglas. And again, this was a very light show as far as talking about Messi and Neymar and Luis Suarez. I think we only mentioned Luis Suarez maybe once or twice. Um, but never fear, your regular... Uh, and again, Mark, Mark Ter, uh, Andre Ter Stegen, who just got married the other day, also never spoke about uh, the goalie situation at Barcelona right now. But nevertheless, uh, it might be a good thing because this show we were talking about more of the, the, the mishaps and some of the uh, issues that have come up to be questions in the offseason but again um frances uh, it was fun to do our first show together and we will be back next week again we want to mind everybody um that you go to our website at it's barcel barcel blog and you will find us there and there's plenty of content there um and again of course you've got our podcast so you probably pretty aware um i'm gonna edit all this out frances do you want to do the outro <laughs> yeah so um yeah, it, it really is great to um, have had the chance to, to finally speak to our listeners. I've uh, been writing for basketball for many years now, but uh, this is the very first, I would say, meaningful conversation that, that we had with our, with our followers now. We started our Patreon page. Um, we're going to have loads of bonus content going on in there, a weekly podcast, so basically episode two, three, four of the current podcast that, that you're listening to now. Uh, it's going to be available on Patreon. Now, we really do need your support. Um, in order to continue to be creative and uh, bring you the best Barca news and uh, hopefully a bit of fun along the way as well. So um, if you go to our Patreon page, um, please get engaged, whether it is by dropping a comment or, or joining us in some sort of way, that, that's, that's good with us. Uh, we just really value your support and everything you can do for us uh, going forward. It would be great because you will make this podcast and Barca blog um, the one platform for the Barca community to join online. And so as we wrap this one up, Frances, I, I, again, my pronunciations will become a, uh, a long-term problem, but hopefully over the course of this podcast, we figure that out. But um, as will mostly be the way that we'll say goodbye, uh, I want to thank you for joining me on the first podcast. And uh, as they say at the camp now, what is it? Forza Barca, right? Forza Barca. 